When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring Up the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. A bit of a somber week this week, JT. We'll talk about that Tulane game later, but how are you holding up? Um, you know, we're getting by. It's definitely going to be a, a down week in Manhattan, that's for sure. Yeah. And, of course, the schedule does not get any easier. Kansas State has to go to Oklahoma. We brought on a, you know, one of our favorite guests, Alan Kenny. He writes for Crimson and Cream Machine, as well as Athlon Sports. Is also the host of the Blatant Homerism podcast. Alan, how are you doing? Good, good. I'm actually working for a podcast now called Through the Keyhole. It's still an Oklahoma Sooners podcast, but it's a, okay. it's a different site. Yeah, so – but um, – yeah, no, I'm doing I'm doing well. It's uh it's been an interesting start to the year so far, pretty much across college football. Yeah, it has a lot of a lot of crazy games and you know, honestly, like you know, as recently as Saturday morning, I was hoping this would be a, a fun podcast where we could talk about, you know, Brent Venables and the case State connections and, and and the trouble that Kansas State has given Oklahoma in the past, but now I think we kind of maybe need you to help talk us off the ledge a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I saw yeah, uh, somebody, yeah. there was an OU fan who was saying that, um, you know, oh, I, I don't like to see this result of K-State losing, but I, I feel like losing a game like that just laying at home, I, I wouldn't be too worried as an OU fan. I don't know. Is any of that for you? Well, I mean, no, you're always, it's Kansas State. I mean, <laughs> you know, even when Kansas State <laughs> hasn't had particularly good teams in the past, they've still, I mean, there have been plenty of times when they've still given OU plenty of trouble or, or upset the Sooners. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, no, you're always going to be worried about Kansas State. No, no. Yeah. Huh? yeah, yeah, that's fair. I just think, I mean, I guess I would say that I would think a loss to Tulane would not make you more worried than you would have been. So. Oh, you never know. It could have been a look-ahead spot. Who who's, 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 yeah. you know, it's tough to say. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Meanwhile, Oklahoma you know, obliterated in Nebraska. And I know Nebraska has got a lot of issues right now with their coaching and, and all that, but you know, I think you only predicted a 10 point win. It's the first time Nebraska has been beaten like that since the 2020 season opener. That's not nothing. Uh, you know, what do you make of that result for you? Yeah. I mean, it was one of those cases where nobody exactly knew what to expect because of all the different changes that have gone on in the program, you know, since last season, and, you know, you had a situation, too, I think, where people were probably pretty concerned. I know I was about Nebraska getting rid of Scott Frost and bringing on uh, Mickey Joseph as the interim coach, because something was just has just been wrong with Nebraska. And it seemed like I mean, I'm not sure I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say 
that I don't think the Nebraska players liked Frost, but there was clearly some kind of you know culture issue there, some kind of issue like that. And I think that, you know, like not having him there, I thought might've given them a bit of a spark. And I think it did for the first, you know, I mean, just early in the game, but you know, OU played very, very sharp football and really didn't give Nebraska much of a chance to ever really kind of be in the game, you know, after the opening, I don't know, five to 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I mean, Oklahoma, some people didn't know what to expect. And then one thing that's kind of amazing looking back on the, on the preseason, all big 12 team is the only Oklahoma player on it was your punter. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of shocking to see that based on what we're used to from Oklahoma. Yeah. A lot of people brought that up. I, yeah. I mean, I had a feeling that that would look differently at the end of the year. <laughs> and I, th- I think yeah, it will. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was definitely kind of an eye opener, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think, I mean, at least from my perspective, you know, the big thing for Brent Venables coming in is he's, you know, supposed to be the guy that's going to fix this Oklahoma defense that has kind of been their weakness in a lot of recent years. You know, how is he doing so far on that front? Oh, I mean, all systems go so far. They've played much better. It's it's funny. It's a unit as a whole that doesn't really have many, you know, superstars or standouts, but they're playing really well, just kind of playing together, you know, and it feels like there's a lot of cases of maybe the whole being greater, even greater than some of the parts, but they've looked good. You know, they, they had some solid pieces remaining on the uh, defensive line that have chipped in getting good play from the linebackers, which is kind of, you know, Venable specialty is, you know, area of expertise. So they've gotten real good play there. Secondary has been solid. You know, you look at Nebraska, for example, and yeah, that's not a great team, but that has been a pretty prolific offense this season up until last week. And I mean, you know, they really, really struggled to move the ball against OU. Yeah. Yeah. And then JT, I mean, I think we know that, that, to imagine every defensive coordinator is going to watch the the games that K-State has played so far and just dial up a game plan to stop Deuce and dare Adrian to throw downfield, right? Right. I mean, expect to see and until he proves something. If I was the you know defensive coordinator watching film, I'm going to put as many guys in the box as I can, leave the corners on an island, and just dare Martinez to beat us through the air because he hasn't shown a gosh darn thing. Downfield all season. I mean, his two best plays passing versus Tulane were were both balls that he had to throw more than ten yards downfield. The touchdown pass to Cade Warner, and then a I think it ended up being a nineteen yard completion to Malik Knowles in the fourth quarter. That we're all like, oh man, maybe he's going to throw another one like that, and then he didn't. <laughs> and so it was just a sloppy mess. So you know, if I'm you know, Brent Venables and Ted Roof, and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, at this K-State offense right now, my, you know, priority, and it would have been, you know, going into the year anyways, but probably priority one and two are going to be stopping Deuce Vaughn and loading the box in and daring K-State to beat us over the top. Because I don't, I don't think, you know, we're capable of it right now. And that's concerning. Yeah. So Alan, I guess just, you know, how all in do you think OU is willing to go on that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, because so he's been part of Benable's things is that he likes to throw out kind of multiple personnel packages and alignments. Last week, for example, they were playing a lot of that similar kind of three high safety look that you'd see from, say, Iowa uh, State, pardon me. 
I think that you'll see a more kind of, you know, probably four down linemen and, you know, playing more towards the run this week and, you know, kind of really kind of keen on, well, Deuce Vaughn, of course, but also, you know, Martinez, you know, I mean, he's still a very, very dangerous runner, whatever his issues as a, a thrower might be. So, you know, kind of one of the big things is going to be how do you kind of what's the best way to kind of keep him contained, you know, because it's not necessarily in my mind, always loading the box against a good option game. Sometimes you need to just, it's more about how you play your safeties and uh, what they key on. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing, JT. I don't know how good the option game is with the decisions that Adrian is making right now. I mean, they've ran a lot okay. of read option against Tulane mm-hmm. and it consistently didn't work. I mean, it, it worked sort of early and then it just, it stopped. I mean, culminating with, I, I know it's, it's a play that's been dissected a lot by K-State fans and, and writers, but the, the last fourth down conversion attempt that they tried late in the fourth quarter there, it was, I mean, one of the most simple read option plays that, that you run in football. I mean, it's, it's the Nebraska option, right? Where you, the quarterback and the running back go to one side together and the quarterback reads the defensive end. And if he's going to tackle him, he pitches in that they run that in high school, high school quarterbacks make that read. They make the pitch Adrian, for whatever reason, he saw that defensive end crashing and he couldn't make the pitch. I mean, he had Deuce Vaughn there. He had green grass in front of him for 10 yards. He was going to get the first down. He couldn't make the pitch. I don't know what's going through his brain at that moment. That's a play he's made at Nebraska, right? When he was the quarterback at Nebraska, he made that play. And all of a sudden he couldn't make that play. And it's it's deeply concerning that if he can't make a, a simple read like that, what happens, you know, when the other things start breaking down. So it was it, lots of very, very big red flags that came up as that game went along. And a lot of things that are very concerning about what Colin Klein will be able to do with the offense moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the impressive numbers that jumps out on the OU defense is looking, they've got, I believe it's 32 tackles for loss so far this season. You know, uh, what's made them so good at that? Is that, you know, the front guys breaking through or is that Blitzers coming in? Yeah. I mean, they've played really well up front, I think, is, is part of it. Like like I mentioned, you know, Reggie Grimes has six TFLs this year. Ethan Downs is his kind of partner in crime on the other side uh, as at defensive end. He's been getting in the backfield a lot, three and a half tackles for loss. Jalen Redmond has been really strong in spots. He's playing three-tech defensive tackle. He's getting through. And, you know, they're sending – they're being more aggressive, too, with what they're doing with their linebackers, guys like Danny Stutzman and David Aguebu who, you know, Venables really likes those kind of um, inside blitzes and likes to do some things with his linebackers when it comes to that part of it. So there's definitely been uh, an emphasis on that. You know, it's kind of been a hallmark of, you know, Oklahoma, Brent Venables, pardon me, defensive scheme for a long time is the disruptiveness gain in the backfield. Now, you know, I have a feeling that those numbers are going to tail off as oh, you start seeing better offenses and, and, and better opponents. But early on, though, no, it's been a very, very disruptive defense. Yeah. And, I mean, are you surprised that those guys have been able to step in after, I think you wrote about losing Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito, two NFL guys, but it seems like they're kind of picking up where they left off? Yeah, I really am, to be honest. You know, losing Isaiah Thomas, Nick Benito, you know, Perry on Winfrey at nose tackle, those were guys who were really disruptive, uh, you know, 
clearly like some of the, the most talented players on their defense last year. You know, I don't necessarily get the impression that these guys that they've brought in up front are as talent necessarily as talented, but they've still managed to stay productive. And, you know, I don't know how much of that is scheme versus how much of that is, you know, just getting another, you know, I don't know, maybe uh line of fire on them or maybe just the opportunity to actually get a shot, you know, to show what they can do. But the play of the defensive line has really been, uh, it, it's been an eye opener for me because I've, Pass rush was certainly something also that I was really concerned about coming in the season. Mm-hmm. So JT, hearing that, I mean, are you, you know, how much more concerned are you about the Kansas State offensive line right now? I, I feel like, you know, say what you will about Adrian Martinez and his decisions, but there weren't any huge holes on those, you know, fourth and shorts. Nothing easy like you might expect against the middle of the pack American Athletic Conference team. Right, and I think. Some of that, again, goes back to what they were keying on and what they were able to key on and the lack of Tulane's need to change their defensive game plan. I mean, pretty much what they started the game with, they ended the game with, and that makes it very easy coaching and playing that you don't have to make really too many adjustments to continue to beat your opponent. But again, I and we've seen it even against Missouri at times. It, it took you know, into the late stages of the game before their defensive line was wore down enough that some bigger holes started to open for Deuce Vaughn and the running game. You know, it's a, it's a solid unit. And of course there's, you know, we've got an all American on at left guard and there's some talent there, but there's definitely been some maybe lack of push or they're, they're still trying to work out gelling together. Of course, now they, they also lost the guy that they, soon would be the starting right guard early in the first game and you know that uh, they've got a big next man up thing but you know that definitely it's got to throw you off at least a little bit um and then we had our starting left tackle katori levinson go down off and on through the second half of the game against Tulane. so he's you know having having to bring young guys in there and middle of the game it's it's always going to create some issues with the line but they definitely haven't impressed me in the way that i assumed that they would uh, headed into the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, I don't want to harp on Adrian Martinez too much because obviously he's, he's been talked about plenty in Kansas State circles. But JT, like you alluded to, you know, he's he's not really doing a lot of stuff that, that he did in Nebraska. He's not, you know, running this confidently. He's not even attempting a lot of the, the deep throws. And so, Alan, I, I kind of wonder if there are any similarities for you to, like, to maybe some I mean, there's been some OU quarterbacks who get some of the Heisman hype and have done really well and then kind of tear it off. You know, Spencer Radler comes to mind. Do you see any similarities there? What causes that? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, I think that Spencer Radler, for example, they kind of had some expectations of things that he'd be able to do. I think that and personally, I think as a run, they needed him to be more of a uh, threat as a runner. And that didn't work out when he was at OU. And, you know, what he's doing now at, South Carolina is the kind of system that probably fits his skill set a little bit better, but you know, he's, he's also working with just a, you know, a different, that's a different kind of context. I mean, you know, we've got teams like Georgia on your schedule, you're going to struggle, but um, you know, sometimes it, you know, sometimes it can be a matter of how you, I guess, how, how you view that kind of hype or what have you, you know, with Martinez, I think that, you know, he had some limitations as a thrower, even at Nebraska, 
But I think what what you're seeing right now, though, like you mentioned, it maybe it's it's a confidence thing with him that and just uh, you know maybe not necessarily having a full grasp of the offense at this point. I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and JT, it's been interesting to see the the K State's coaching staff kind of change its messaging a little bit, even from week one to week three. They're saying, well, you know, he's he's doing fine, even though he's not throwing for big yardage. He's not turning the ball over. That's the big thing. And now it's oh, we we want him to take some more rest. We want him to take some deep throws. So, how do you think that is is maybe messing with Martinez and the way he plays a little bit? Um, not as much as it would be if it was coming from Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder uh-huh. was the king of playing <laughs> press game, mind games, and and even in the locker room with those. I mean, he did that to, to Skylar Thompson for a couple of years there. And Clyman seems, I mean, like they're like that staff's always been really straightforward with players. That's something that you've heard about. I mean, even with guys that are now not with the program, like now nah, he's going to shoot it too straight. Like there's, there's no questions about, what he really means, you know, what his intentions really are. So I don't think there's like a mixed messaging issue, but I do think he's, he's trying to, you know, you know, call out his, his, his quarterback who's struggling a little bit and or struggling a lot and maybe put that out on the air. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm telling them the same thing I'm telling you, you've got to do this better. You know, it's, it's not coach speak. You know, it's coach in a way it's coach speak, but it's, you know, we're, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. Like this is, this is a problem and, and I've got to, you know, shoot it straight to the media. Like I'm shooting it straight to you. So. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you can get that figured out and then, you know, hopefully get Deuce going again. JG, just to clarify it, to, to make sure that people know it was just cramps that he had on Saturday, right? No lingering health issues. For him. Yeah. There were quite a few players that were having issues with cramps, both sides, which, surprises me i mean it was yeah. a 90 degree day in manhattan i mean it was humid but not one of those you know like 103 and it had you know kind of scorcher where you're worried about guys dropping and then you know to see that from tulane even and they're coming from new orleans where it's 90 and humid this time yeah. of year like i you know <laughs> you'd think they would be used to it right. but apparently everybody got weakened by the the nice weather we've generally been having around here lately and throw yeah. them off and so you, you got to hydrate or dehydrate, right? I mean, it's uh, maybe hopefully they'll learn before they head to Norman. Yeah, yeah. So and then so let's w- switch over to the Oklahoma offense uh, first and take a short commercial break. And we're back. So let's start with I mean preseason newcomer of the year, Dylan Gabriel playing quarterback for OU. Is he living up to that hype so far? Oh, he's been really solid. You know, I'm not sure. There are certainly some things that have kind of come up into the first three games where, you know, you're kind of wondering there, you know, he has a tendency to maybe kind of hold the ball a little long and try to make plays downfield, which ends up kind of taking some unnecessary sacks where he could just get rid of the ball, you know, but I think he's for the most part operated the offense. Well, he knows it, you know, I mean, that was, I think part of the appeal of bringing him into the program was that he, you know, was pretty well versed in, in this offense based on his time with uh, Jeff Levy at, at Central Florida. So, so far, yeah, you know, he's even shown some wheels. He had a 61 yard touchdown run against Nebraska that got OU on the board and kind of settled things down. So, yeah, for the most part, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, I'd grade him right now at like a BB plus. Mm hmm. 
and it seems like his top target every game so far has been Marvin Mims. You know how how elite is he as a receiver? Yeah, Mims has uh, certainly been the major benefactor of OU's offensive switch, which uh, you know at times tends to focus on you know one guy or have a go to guy. He's been that so far, pretty much, you know, only has two touchdowns on the year, but he has plenty of big gains. You know, he's averaging 22 yards a catch. So that part of it's working out well. And they've got him, you know, also moving around some. You bring him in motion, setting up, uh, you know, one-on-one matchups. And, you know, he was kind of struggling in their second game against Kent State to really kind of just take the top off. They really just started kind of targeting him. And from there, things started to open up. Kind of funny how that works, you know. Yeah, yeah. So are you seeing a lot of downfield throws from Gabriel then? Are they going to challenge the K-State defense vertically? Yeah, I think that I, I would certainly look for that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of the horizontal stuff to set up those vertical shots too. But yeah, I mean, when they can, they're trying to push the ball down the field. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it'll be interesting, JT, because obviously, I mean, the past defense has been pretty good but i don't know if they've even played an average passing game yet so right i mean uh we we saw that a little bit against tulane and they looked a little better than missouri but i mean that was Mm -hmm. i mean not having to play in a monsoon sure helped (laughs) yeah i'm I'm more interested in in oklahoma's kind of slow starts the last couple games especially against kent state they i mean it was like right before halftime before they finally scored and it's Nebraska. They let a score up early, and it was. Uh, and it seems like maybe the OU offense has has gotten a slow start. And I wonder if that's maybe an avenue that K State's pretty uh, a decent defense so far as might be able to exploit a little bit. Yeah, it has been the kind of thing where they they've taken a little while to get going. You know, especially now that they're running at such a high tempo. You know, part of the uh, thing here is they get. You know, if they go three and out they tend to do it really fast too. <laughs> so it's easy to feel like this is kind of getting bogged down when you, you know, you have, you run three plays and take 10, 12 seconds off the game clock, you know? So from that perspective, it's been, uh, it definitely has been a challenge early. You know, some of it I think has also been a matter of what they're trying to accomplish each game. I mean, for example, against Kent state, I mean, they made it clear afterwards too, that they want to work on, you know, really the kind of base run game. They opened up the playbook more against Nebraska and didn't have as much of a problem getting off to a hot start. But, you know, it certainly is the kind of thing where, you know, you wonder what, you know, why it's maybe you, you worry that maybe it takes them a little bit too long to adjust, you know, with, especially given that tempo. Yeah. And so are there, some issues with the base run game. I mean, is that doing what they wanted to do or how's Eric Gray looking? You know, so far, I think that, uh, they're, you know, they've had certainly had stretches where there, it wasn't good. You know, Kent State kind of attacked their run game with a kind of a funky look where they were bringing in corners as like force defenders. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a tall ask of an offensive lineman to get out there, even though they might have the size advantage. It's kind of a, that's a long way to go when you're running those like outside zone runs, you know, but you know, once things have settled down, I mean, I thought, for example, last week, I thought that they looked really good running the ball. You saw, I think, let's see here. They average what six yard, about 5.8 yards a carry 54 attempts for 312 yards. And that's, 
with a lot of garbage time mixed in where they were just basically running inside zone, you know, and, and trying to get out, out of the stadium. But, you know, they've had two, not only Gray, but also Marcus Major has played really well, I think, and he's been a little bit more consistent in the short yards, kind of getting the tough yards also. Okay. Yeah, and then, I mean, who else do they like to include in the receiving game? Who else does case they need to look out for? Yeah, you know, they've got a couple guys. Drake Stoops is one. He's been very, he's reliable, doing a good job, especially, you know, in third down situations, finding the sticks. Jaleel Farouk is a guy who's uh, done a lot for them as a vertical, you know, threat. He had a uh, long touchdown catch against uh, uh, Nebraska, pardon me, that helped them, you know, kind of, again, you know, kind of break the seal on the offense. Theo Weiss is another one. Man, he uh, had a, you know, tough, tough 2021 coming back from, uh, you know, a leg injury that really kept him out for the entire year. But he is looks like he's more comfortable a couple games in and uh, has been really reliable. And then Braden Willis, their tight end, this is a really good offense, a really good scheme for him. And he's showing a lot as a blocker, but also as a you know receiving threat. So that would be another one to watch. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it seems like the offensive line has a lot of experience. So, you know, are those guys doing pretty well? It's a pretty strong group there for the Sooners. Oh, I mean, I think if there's been a disappointment so far this year, it's been that group. Okay. You know, they brought in, for example, McCabe Matower from Cal uh, transfer who, I mean, you know, I, I think at some point it was like a second or third team all-pack 12 player. And he didn't really do a lot to impress right off the bat for the first two games. I thought he played really well last week against Nebraska, but, you know, there certainly been, have been some issues there with him kind of getting bullied, you know, center Andrew Rame tends to be a little up and down. He can be great, but you know, he just, I wouldn't say he takes plays off, but you know, I think from a technique standpoint, he's still got a lot to work on. And then, you know, Wanya Morris, their right tackle, he missed early in the season, the first two games. I think he had some type of academic issue maybe, but was back last week. And it seemed like once he came in, that had a kind of a calming effect on the rest of the line or did something to kind of help their chemistry. But, you know, to that point, they had uh, Tyler Guyton there who was playing you know, pretty, uh, pretty well so far, but he's just very young and very raw. So, JT, how would you expect the, the Kansas State defense to attack and OU offense, like you said, it started slow, but once they get going, it seems like they're, they're pretty dangerous and explosive. Well, I feel like they've got to keep doing what they've been doing, which is trying to get pressure on the quarterback, especially one that likes to throw the ball, you know, be disruptive at the, the like point of handoff on, on runs and stuff. You know, Felix Senyudika Zama's already got two and a half sacks in the year. Probably should have had a couple more that they've just been real close on. They've been racking up TFLs, you know, across the board and then causing disruptions in the passing game. Even, I mean, we've got three players that already have two interceptions, which is astounding. We've gone seasons in the past where one player hasn't gotten two interceptions in the whole year. And we're three games in and we've and got one of those guys is linebacker. So, right. Daniel Green's got yeah. two. And, you know, that, that was the play. I mean, it was early yet still, but. But when you couldn't bring that one all the way back for a score and you couldn't get some defensive scoring, I was yeah. I was definitely like, oh, my God, this is going to be a long day. But and who uh, was, wasn't there a defensive back? That drew uh, Kobe Savage got the other pick. 
on uh, right, but one that went weekend. right through a guy's hands as he was running forward. And it oh, six. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Um, yeah, but there's they've made some good plays, and there's been several almost interceptions that have occurred. So the defensive secondary and and even the linebackers have been pretty great at disrupting passes so far. I mean, they've they've let some big ones go, but I think against a you know a pass happy kind of offense or one where they think you know they they're gonna try to air it long. And that's when K State safety grew, which. Uh, you know, we were really worried about the safety group headed into the season. It's all new guys. It's, you know, they're all young guys. Like, what's going to happen? And they've really been a pretty solid bunch across the board, both in pass protection and, and rush defense. And even I was I was picking on Kobe Savage at the beginning of the game. He got burned several times against Tulane and still managed to come away with, with an interception later on to redeem himself. So, you know, they're, they've been a pleasant surprise. And I think this is going to be the equalizer against a much more aggressive Oklahoma offense is, is Kate state's defense, which has been very aggressive and very sound for the most part so far this season. Yeah. So I don't know Oklahoma guys on the preseason team, but like in contrast, Kate state's got quite a few in on the defensive side. They've got, you know, Felix up front, you got Daniel green and then Julius Prince in the secondary. And which of those guys worries you the most for the Oklahoma offense? Oh, yeah, I call him FAU. Is that okay? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, that's, the, right, uh, that's right. Defensive lineman. Yeah, yeah. He. Uh, I don't know that thing I did, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that one though. I mean, like the Kansas State defensive line has been really solid, from what I can tell, and I think that that's the part that concerns me. That you know they'll have an opportunity to. Uh, you know, kind of make some disruptive plays or maybe even force some mistakes. And as I mentioned, you know, I mean, with Gabriel's tendency to kind of hold the ball a little bit longer than uh, he should and, and try to keep those plays alive down the field, you know, that could open him up to some opportunities for sacks or, you know, errant throws if he's getting pressured. So that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for. I think that that matchup in the trenches between Kansas State's defensive line and Oklahoma offensive line will really go a long way to determining uh, how this game plays out. So I, I feel like this is a question that I should try to ask every week, but is Oklahoma brave enough to punt the Phillip Brooks and give him a chance to return? Wow, yeah, that is a good question. I believe, was, was Phillip Brooks who returned the... Uh, kick last year against OU for a touchdown. There's one that was late in the game. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I mean, you know, I guess you got to, you know, OU's punter is actually quite good. Michael Turk. He's, you know, one of the best in the country. Preseason uh, all but... big 12. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> OU's one selection. Uh, so, you know, you look at that and their coverage has been pretty good so far this year, but he's dangerous back there, man. Same in the, uh, you know, as a kick returner, right? He's returning kicks and punts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just punts. Malik Knowles is right, just, just Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Either way, both of those guys scare me in the return game a lot. So, you know, I would look for OU to try to kind of keep it away from them and do some directional kicking or punting maybe to to limit their opportunities, I'd, I'd say. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that is the wise move. Most teams are, are figuring that out. So, uh, well, before we get to uh, predictions, I guess, first of all, JT, do you have any other questions you wanted to ask? No, I, I was only really curious about how that slow start. I was, yeah, 
it makes more sense when you hear it from the OU side. It's just, you know, looking at the box scores and yeah, trying to figure out what's going yeah, on. Yeah. You know, especially that Kent State game. I mean, you know, Jeff Levy even talked about it in his press conference the following Monday. He was just, he just said, you know, part of that's just on me for being too stubborn, like trying to, like I mentioned, you know, get that, that base running game worked out because, you know, pretty quickly there i think it was the last uh possession of the first half oh you started just you know throwing simple quick hitch routes and went right down the field you know and you saw more of that in the second half of that game too so you know it's the kind of thing where you don't i mean given that it's kent state you know it kind of it's a little concerning right that you have to make those kinds of adjustments and you can't just get it done with your base offense but you know that kind of i think is the part that you know kind of maybe gets lost in all that Mm-hmm. So, uh, you you mentioned Spencer Rattler. Or we we talked about him a little. I'm just wondering, you and, and other OU fans, like, how do you feel watching him play at South Carolina? Like, like you said, everybody struggles against Georgia, but you know he's was pretty decent against Arkansas, I guess. Okay, against Georgia State, but I mean, like, are you cheering for him over there? Or oh, sure. Your... I mean, I I always felt like he got kind of a. I mean, you know, there was certainly some stuff that happened last season, I think, that was probably on him and and on the coaching staff. You know, I mean, nobody's, you know, those kinds of things. It's never just one thing. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I I hope he does well. I feel like he was probably not put in the best positions by Lincoln Riley, especially in that, uh, you know, in his second season as a starter to where there are things that you probably could have done to make life a little bit easier for Rattler that they just wouldn't do. So, you know, he's definitely kind of a gunslinger and, and, you know, it's the kind of situation where he can work himself into trouble. We've seen him do that a few times already this season in South Carolina, but he's such a talented thrower. I mean, you know, the ball looks so good coming out of his hand that, you know, it's the kind of, you you hope it all ends up working out for him in the long run. Yeah. And then we got to ask you, of course, about the SEC stuff coming up. And it seems like every other week you hear a new rumor about, oh, you and Texas are going to leave early and all this. I mean, what do you think the odds are of, of them not sticking it out for the rest of the Big 12 contract? Well, I feel very confident that you will be playing in the Big 12 next year for sure, 2023. 2024, you might start, I mean, there might be some movement there. You know, but that's just that is such a big financial hit on the part of OU to make that move. That like I just don't know if there's a, a big appetite to go ahead with something like that. I mean, it's going to be so costly to leave early. Like maybe they can work something out and uh, you know ease that hit just a little bit. But I think like 2024 would be the earliest, personally. Yeah. And then, you know, and I feel like we've talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, Oklahoma, I think anybody that doesn't think they're going to be among the, the, the top of the SEC is is fooling themselves. You know, they're already at that talent level. But, you know, the question to me is, and, you know, for everybody in the SEC, everybody else in the, in the country, is how do you get on like that, the Alabama and Georgia level? Can, can Oklahoma get there easier in the SEC? Uh, yeah, I'm. well, I mean – Alabama and Georgia, like that's a case of, you know, just recruiting to the nth degree. Right. And, you know, OU just, they're not quite on that level. Now you can make a good case that really 
no team in history, no programs in history have ever been on the level that those two are, you know, kind of approaching right now. I think that, you know, you, if you look back, I think that, you know, OU recruits really well, but most of what I hear about when it comes to kind of what separates, you know, OU from the upper level SEC teams has been that it's just very, very difficult for OU to recruit the elite players in the trenches you know, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, it comes up from what I understand, you know, kind of constantly during recruiting that, you know, the big 12 isn't a good place to develop as a defensive lineman or, you know, an offensive lineman, not, it's not where players go to show that showcase themselves for the NFL. So, you know, I think that in that respect, it can only be a plus if they're able to, uh, you know, have that as a selling point to kind of add to the rest of the package that they've been offering. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before we let you go, I don't have yet make a prediction. I, I was kind of surprised when the line came out and it was Oklahoma only by 13. Maybe that's just recency bias, but it felt like it should be higher than that. But yeah. What do you see happening Saturday? The primetime game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could actually see this being a pretty low scoring game just based on the way these two often. I mean, if I'm Kansas State, I'm certainly trying to make OU run the ball, right? And, you know, that's running has been clearly where Kansas State has been making uh, hay this year. So I just, I, I have a feeling it'll be, you know, a fairly low scoring game. I see Kansas State keeping this within two touchdowns. Like, I, I think that they'll cover that 13. But, you know, I mean, I think we're looking at something in the, you know, along the lines of like 28-17, something like that. Okay. What do you think, JT? Guess they keep it within two scores. And are we going to see a different Adrian Martinez? Um, you know, as a K-State fan, I've got wild faith that we could upset OU and, you know, make this a game or, or keep it really close and, you know, like, okay, well, I, I know where we're going. I also have wild pessimism that it's, you know, uh, it's going to be a blowout and it's going to get ugly and we're going to look like Nebraska against OU. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great being a K-State fan and, you know, you just deal with that every week. Uh, I don't know. I, my gut tells me it's, it's going to be closer than that. The 13 point spread. It's going to be a tight game. K-State's defense is still pretty solid. I have to believe that they'll figure something out on offense, whether that's uncorking Adrian Martinez and actually getting him to play with some more abandon and show a little bit more of that fire that we saw from him at Nebraska, or if they decide to make a change and, you know, go with another option that's on the roster. So I, you know, we'll see. And I think it'll be interesting, but it, you know, it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them to start a new quarterback against Oklahoma just to throw them all off. So um, it could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Alan, we appreciate you coming on. People can follow Alan on Twitter at blatant homerism. College football's finest mind, according to the bio. So, <laughs> <laughs> you have any, uh, any K-State content coming up? This yeah. I mean, I should have some, I'll, I'll definitely have some preview stuff coming up for this game. You know, you can look for that at places like Crimson Cream Machine or also uh, Athlon Sports. I'll definitely have a few things, a few things coming your way this week. All right, sounds good. I always appreciate having you on. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. So yeah.